Here's the big question. What if you had to start over from scratch and build a business with limited time and resources? Maybe the economy just pulled the rug out from under you, or you're in a business that's underperforming or a career that's going nowhere. How would you flip the switch to go from where you're at to where you want to go? A profitable business that supports your family and allows you to live the life you were meant to live. My name is Jason Liu, and each week I'm going to bring you guests that are further down the road while documenting my own journey. Welcome to the business of feeling good. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of The Business of Feeling Good. My name is Jason Liu, and I'm excited to connect with Lizette Calvero, and she is an amazing influencer, content creator, um, and her really her mission is to go out there and help people who want to master social media. Um, she spent eight years in PR on really both sides of the coin. So not only is she now an influencer herself, but she's been working with Fortune 500 brands. Um, she's worked in travel as well as actual products, and she's been published everywhere. Like I was going through her bio, and it's incredible to see that she's shown up on the Today Show, Telemundo, Forbes, Cosmopolitan. Like she has quite the resume out there. But I think the most fun is that if you guys really want to get into Lizette's world, go find her on TikTok, go find her on Reels, because she has incredible dance moves and does entertaining content, and she's the best. And I had the opportunity to get to know Lizette over about the past 13 weeks. Uh, we just wrapped up Empower You, where she launched an incredible course called Influence to Impact, um, and she does obviously one-on-one coaching as well. So thanks so much for taking the time to hang out with me. Thanks so much, Jason. That was like the best introduction ever. (laughs) Also, fun fact, Jason's voice is my favorite. So I always had to make a point to say that. So this is going to be a special hour. Yeah. So I've been told that if if I don't make it with the business coaching, that I can always do either meditation or bedtime stories, right? Yeah. 100%. (laughs) But I didn't download that app you're on. Very cool. So let's start kind of a little bit in the beginning, because I know that you are, you're in New York currently, but home wasn't New York. Do you mind kind of talking about being transplanted to New York and coming from Miami? Yeah, great question. So originally from Miami, I like to say I wasn't even born in America because Miami is its own little Caribbean island. Didn't even learn English till I was seven. So that is something you don't even need when you live in Miami. Daughter of immigrants, which is very, very important to my story and something that has shaped who I am. And I actually, my dad used to work in New York City back and forth. So he used to go from New York to Miami twice a week and I used to come with him sometimes so I always wanted to come and live in New York you know it was my dream ever since I was a little kid and I was able to live in New York for my internship post-college so I lived here in 2013 and I was doing a internship with Broadway so as you mentioned like I do love the performing arts it's something that's just some a hobby of mine so it was such a joy to be able to work for Broadway doing publicity and some events management And what happened was I lived here and realized it's super expensive. So on an intern budget of $100 stipend a month, you cannot live in New York. Spoiler alert. And then I decided, well, it's fine. I'm actually going to go back to Florida, work there for a few years, really establish myself in the industry so that I can then come back to New York. And that's kind of how it happened. Um, It was, I had, like you mentioned, been working in the PR industry for since the inception of my career. Somewhere along the way, I became what we call a hybrid. So working both doing social media and um, at the time, influencer marketing was either paying bloggers a couple hundred bucks 
or sending YouTubers free stuff. So it was just kind of like, you know, spaghetti against the wall influencer marketing. But because of being involved so early in that industry, I became this hybrid social media expert and PR expert. When I was moving to New York, I decided I'm going to try to find a new job at a more global agency because I had been doing more of the boutique middle size agency size. And what that means for people who are not in the industry is just smaller budgets. So I was like, I need to learn how to work with the million dollar budgets. So thankfully got a job at Havas, which is a global agency, really incredible. Their New York office is huge. So I was able to come here as a PR manager. And in that I was doing influencer marketing pretty much a la carte. So now we're talking 2016 is when I moved to New York. And a lot of brands were now giving budget to working with influencers. So it was no longer, let's just send them stuff and see what happens. It was, we have a campaign and we have this amount of budget and let's find a way to work with influencers. So I was creating very structured strategies, almost like exactly how to spend our dollars against influencers. And that takes a lot um, because you have to find the right person to spend the right amount of money. And kind of all of that process and a creative process, too, of developing, what does that even look like? How does an influencer promote a yogurt without it looking fake? You know, like, here I am with my yogurt. And all that said, because I was doing that for the agency, I kind of became this go-to expert. So I would train different teams at the agency how to work with influencers, help them establish a strategy, and then different teams would execute on their own. All that said, I eventually, um, you know, I'd sit on panels. I would do a lot of things just being an expert in the influencer marketing space because of doing this for a big agency like Havas. And then knocking at my door came Ogilvy, which was, fun fact, my dream agency ever since I was a kid. And I have a funny story about manifesting Ogilvy and missing an interview once. Do tell. Um, do tell. Yeah. And so Ogilvy was like, the cream of the crop. If you work in advertising or communications, David Ogilvy is the advertising father. So working at Ogilvy was always a dream of mine. And when I was living in Miami and applying for jobs to move to New York, I tried applying for Ogilvy. And it was actually a job that was not even a lateral move. It was kind of less of a move than where I was, but I just knew I wanted to work there so badly. So I applied I got a phone call. I missed the call. And when I called back, no one could direct me to the right person. So I was so bummed. I was like, man, this didn't happen. And I've been manifesting it so hard, right? I eventually ended up getting called for a job that hadn't even existed at the time. I was the second person that they ever hired to be a specialist in influencer marketing at Ogilvy, period, which is insane because it's the largest global agency. So I felt really awesome, you know, and they found me through the work I had been doing as this influencer marketing thought leader. And I worked with them for a year full time. And then eventually at the beginning of this year, I made the decision that I wanted to be on my own, still kind of working with Ogilvy as a consultant as needed or on a project basis. I loved working there, but I just think it was time to do my own thing fully. Um, and that is the entire journey of my the, <laughs> the LinkedIn career, as I like to say. <laughs> So let's unpack that a little bit because there's so many, I love the fact that you come from an immigrant family and then like, it's this story of New York and Broadway. And um, that's so cool. That's, that's such yeah. an amazing backstory to all of it. I, my question really comes back to, because I think that we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast. So I really want to dive into both sides of, and especially for a newbie like me, really what both sides look like from influence marketing. So 
on the on the more corporate side of trying to figure out who to connect your brand with and how much to do ad spend with someone, what, because I feel like the metrics have changed so much between let's say 2016 and even 2020 right now, what are companies looking for now? Because it doesn't seem like it's as important in terms of big numbers and maybe it's deeper engagement with their audience. So what are companies looking for when it comes to influencers to match their brand with? A hundred percent. And you actually said it influencers that match their brand is way more important than the vanity metrics, like follower size or likes, because there was a moment in the industry. And I would say about 2018, there was actually a big peak of fraudulent activity. So a lot of people buying followers, buying likes, buying comments, pretty much anything that happens on social media, a bot can do. And there was a lot of quote influencers buying things And brands would spend so much money on these influencers with a lot of followers. And this usually happens in the lifestyle space more than business and entrepreneurship. And they don't get any results from them because a lot of their metrics are not not real people. Hmm. So that is kind of where shifts started to happen, where then brands were thinking, okay, so let's look at other things like engagement rate, but not just a number. What are people saying? Because again, if you can buy comments, you can read someone's comments that say, thumbs up to a very emotional post. That's probably a bot. So a lot of brands were doing more due diligence to actually understand how connected is the community to this person. And then with that, they needed to make sure that their brand, the essence of who that influencer is, matched their campaign and matched their brand values. Hmm. I say values because more brands, especially in the CPG world, so the consumer packaged goods world, the things you just buy at the store, it's hard for someone to picture them identifying with a ice cream brand, right? You just kind of go and pick it up from a fridge. So those types of brands are doing more values-based campaigns, and that meant that they were looking for more values-based influencers. For example, I recently worked with Halo Top as a creator. I'm not a food blogger whatsoever. Don't really talk about food, but they were actually doing a campaign about eliminating shoulds in your life and kind of personal development and empowerment. And my platform is very heavy on personal development. So they picked me to work with them. And more brands are going that direction where they're building values-based campaigns and they're looking for creators who have a pretty connected community. You know, the follower count is something that they look at more for budget because they want to know the people with less followers more likely to be less budget, people with higher followers more likely to be more expensive. So they kind of look at that just to gauge the money that they might have and work backward. But then when it comes to actually picking the people they want to work with, values are way more important than the vanity metrics like likes and followers. So let's talk about, because you, you mentioned something that I'm not familiar with, which is a value campaign. And you talked, to, you talked about Halo Top. So how does a company like Halo Top even think about, we sell ice cream, yet are, we're going to do a campaign around eliminating shoulds. How does that even come into, how does that come into play? Or, or why, why is marketing now thinking about values? Or are companies thinking about that, it that way? Yeah, that's a great question. And I will say, so working as a create, there's two sides of this coin, right? The brand side and then the creator side. So on the brand side, you had a group of people who realized that in order for you to stand out in a fridge and a grocery store, people have to connect with you. 
they are not just going to no longer be living in this marketing world where all oh, the pretty colors or the aesthetic of a brand, especially with call out culture, keeping brands accountable. You need to know what brands stand for. So a lot of the successful brands are doing that where they are defining what are our values? What do we actually stand for? For example, someone like a halo top by product, unique value proposition. We, you know, we know that term, they actually have less calories per pint and more protein. So you think like, cool, that's a, that's a good thing, but they don't automatically go the health route or market themselves as we are healthy. They prefer to say, well, the reason why we made this is because we want you to enjoy ice cream whenever you want and not have to think about health and calories and nothing. Like we just want you to eat it because, and that then they dug deeper to say, well, it's because we believe that you shouldn't follow the rules that you should do what you want and what you make, what makes you happy in your life. And that makes people more connected to them. And Halo Top's a great example. Who's pun intended created this halo effect of a community that is so connected to defying the rules and just doing the things that feel good for them. And then they find creators who at some, you know, are talking about topics like empowerment or inspiring their audience in different ways And then as a creator, then it was my job to say, well, I know this will resonate really well with my audience. So I'm going to go in this direction and I get this platform of eliminating shoulds. And I came back to them and said, well, I talk about business and career often. So I'm actually going to talk to people about how I did the opposite of what people thought I should be doing as it relates to career. And I posted very well. And Halo Top loved that because again, there's that collaboration of this brand has done so much work to really figure out their messaging. And then now me as a creator, I have to meet you halfway and let you know, how do I translate that into my audience? Hmm. So let's, let's go there for a second, which is how do you start thinking about it? Even from a brand standpoint, because when you were talking about Halo Top, and it's such a great example, it, it would be so easy. The, the, the low-hanging fruit would be, I'm going to go straight into health and fitness, or I'm going to talk about why this is low caloric intake and why this is going to help you lose weight. How does a company or how do you advise a company to make that jump? And this works for us in terms of solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. How do you make that jump from what is low-hanging fruit to what really matters and how to make an emotional connection? And do you have a process or a step or a you know, blueprint for how does that begin to work? Yeah, it really starts by understanding who your ideal client is. And like to exact point that you just said, this applies to solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, because oftentimes we think of our ideal client as a demographic. We are like millennial women. Yeah, everyone wants to reach millennial women. But who is that millennial woman? What keeps her up at night? What is her schedule like? At what points of the day is she taking a break? And all those very personal, very personal things you need to know. My process when I teach people building personal brands is actually asking them questions about the ideal follower and ideal client in a way where let's get the demographics out of the way, but let's dig deeper. And once we know what they're reading, now I want you to know how do their three best friends describe them and really get deep into who that person is so you can get into their literal brain and then you market to them in that way. And that's how you build that emotional connection because oftentimes, yes, I can have a quick solution of wanting to buy a product because it's good, but I'm more deeply invested when you've not only solved a problem, but really touched a pain point you know, of, man, I remember how crappy it felt to be told what I should be doing. And I'm so glad this brand stands for 
going against the grain because that is very personal to me. Hmm. So just really understanding your ideal follower and ideal client much, much deeper than the demographics is how brands become more successful. Cause then you're almost reverse engineering the other stuff of, okay, so if this is how they are. Then we've got to market to them in this way. It's, it's total psychology. <laughs> So when you say three best friends, what does that give you? Because let's say, I'm just thinking of my best friends right now. How would I describe them as, let's say, incredibly loyal, incredibly kind, incredibly generous? What else am I looking for in that description that really ties back to that core? So I actually bring up a good point. I asked that question in two ways. One, how, who are they surrounding themselves by? So I do Ooh. want to know about that person's friends because the people they surround themselves by defines who they are, right? If they're surrounding themselves by people who are much more accomplished than them, they're probably looking to be higher achievers or they want to be aspirational. If they're surrounding themselves by people who aren't at their same personal development level, then are they still struggling with some self-worth issues and it, again, you can get so, so deep. And then on the flip side, I want to know what are their friends saying about them? Because that is kind of what does the world see them as? And hmm. are they happy with that description? Are they in alignment with that description? And again, this all sounds so woo-woo sometimes, but you really, the deeper you get, the better you can market to that person. And I would also say, don't overwhelm yourself in the beginning with having to figure out every single aspect of their life. But when you feel stuck or when you feel stuck in not knowing what to create or how to market to them, that's when I would just, just dig deeper because you'll find something, a little aha moment where you're like, so if their best friends are describing them in this way, I'm going to serve them up something that is going to speak to that issue or to speak to that feeling of how people see you in this world. People think you're a high achiever, but today you're a feeling low energy. It's okay. I relate to you and I'm going to talk to you about that. Interesting. That's really, really interesting. Um, so spin that, spin that, if you don't mind, into the content side, because we're kind of getting into the space of you're prolific. You're incredibly prolific when it comes to your content. Have you always been this well-focused? Did it come from being on the corporate side? Or when did this kind of content machine, because I went back to blog posts. I'm looking at how prolific your TikTok is. You've got, what, 42,000 views on some of your videos out there. Um, your Instagram is on point. Like, it is, it's incredible how much value you're delivering. And it's not just pretty picture. It's like pretty picture and I'm going to give you something you can take home with you. So how did you kind of get that engine going? I appreciate you for that. So I'll tell you the other choose your journey of my story of my career story. And I always say, I'm like, that's not the LinkedIn story because it took me a while for me to admit that, Oh, I am a creator and that is my business. Um, but I actually started my blog in 2013 as well. When I moved to New York for that internship and I call it the, Hey mom and dad, I'm alive blog because I truly was just writing whatever I was doing that day so that people knew like what I was doing because I didn't want to have to text everyone my daily New York updates. And I did that for some time, I would say about two years with no purpose, just writing whatever I was doing. And at the time I was trying to emulate so badly what a lot of other influencers were doing with blogging, right? So the five outfits to wear when I didn't really care about that stuff or, you know, just like really doing whatever I thought worked. Um, and that's a learning moment because it wasn't until I actually started doing my own personal story that I started to grow. And mm -hmm. I think that happens to a lot of us, especially we 
veil that as market research where we are consuming so much content from our competitors and then we don't realize that we're actually just trying to be like our competitors and not in a copying way but it just consumes you you're consumed by consuming and that happened to me for a long time i would say around 2016 um, I actually started to get called to, or like early before moving to New York, doing lifestyle segments on air in Telemundo. And that's the first time I started to see people coming to my social media accounts that were not friends, family, or random people that found my blog. And I thought, oh, because these people trust me as a lifestyle expert, they're finding me on Instagram and connecting with me. And they're expecting lifestyle content. So I started to really fix and transition my social platforms to feel quote more official and started to give more tips but again just very much like some of the lifestyle segments i would do were holiday or seasonal based what to give your mom for mother's day or the valentine's day places to go and those kinds of things which were fun but truly was not my purpose and i didn't feel like i was having a lot of fun serving that up to people and the big big shift happened would say around this was early 2018 I had talked about travel and I had talked about lifestyle but I didn't really have a cohesiveness to it I was just kind of like I'm just posting whatever I want and I decided that I'm going to switch my platform to be about busy millennials because that was my story I was like I'm busy as heck and I'm the first thing people ask me is how do you do it all and I started talking more about what it's like to be a millennial my blog became the marketable millennial because I wanted to talk to people about how you as a millennial can be successful. You can mark the way you market yourself, the way you put yourself online. And that was really the conversations I was having. Then in March, I decided to talk about how finances was something that millennials want to talk about, but felt it was too taboo. You know, the conversation of like, can't afford a house, but I can afford a avocado toast. That was kind of a thing. And I decided to say like, Oh, by the way, I have so much debt. I have student loan debt. I had about $35,000 of student loan debt, which these days is not a lot. And I also had about $10,000 of credit card debt that I had just paid off. So I was talking about that. I was talking about how when I graduated college, I was spending money on trips, on experiences, on eating out every day, on brunching, because that's what I saw influencers doing. So I talked about how because of wanting to emulate that experience and post about it on social media, you know, like if you scroll deep, it's like the avocado toast behind avocado toast and chicken and waffles with bacon. No regrets, but that was there. And I was like, okay, you guys need to know that I had no money. I my first salary out of college was like twenty eight thousand dollars. So I a hundred percent could not afford that. I had so much credit card debt. And then at one point I had to pay a huge car situation. So when I moved to New York, I actually moved with a ton of debt. And that was my wake up call. It was moving to New York. And when I told that whole story, I told that story and went deeper with an editor of the New York Post. If you know New York Post, you know that that's a hit or miss. But that made me go ultra, ultra viral. So viral that every day I was getting newspaper photos from overseas. I was showing up on the front page of newspapers. This was around the time that Kylie Jenner had a baby and had just showed the first photo of her baby. And there was one, I will never forget, a Turkish newspaper where I was the first front half fold. And there was a tiny little photo of Kylie Jenner's baby. And I was like, I'm more famous than Kylie Jenner's baby. I've made it. 
Um, so that was a big moment. And I will say that's actually when I grew the most on social media. And that showed me, oh, so when I'm actually authentic and transparent and really am my truest self, that's when people care. So that was my huge wake up call and shift from that moment on. Truly, I, I almost forget the other me existed, which is like ideal, right? That's what you really want in life. You're so into your truest self that you forget that one happened. And I felt so much more comfortable. And then I started to really build more of a community. With that, I definitely started to solidify my audience so that I was clear on my purpose and my mission. Of course, that mission has evolved slightly over time, but it always goes back to the same thing. I want to empower people and use social media as a way to do that. And I want to teach people how to Yes, monetize on social media so you can take advantage of having a social presence and business online. But I also want people to have healthy relationships with social media and almost bring this like happy place uh, or, you know, a place of inspiration in social media, almost like a pit stop because social media for the last few years has had a negative connotation and people feel the comparison game where they start to feel crappy about themselves spending too much time on social media. So I almost like to be that little rest stop. And it's worked out pretty well because then that shift has allowed me to have a balance of both building my own business. So starting one-on-one coaching, starting strategy, again, continuing to position myself as a expert, both on the branding and corporate side, because they knew I was a creator. So that always helped me. Right. And then also making, I could still post about lifestyle content, but because I, I was that little rest stop for millennials. It's like, Everything that I talked about or every brand that I partnered with, it always went back to either empowerment or how it relates to my business and life balance and really creating that community around that. Um, So long story long, it really did not start off focus and it did not start off with any purpose or any mission. But the moment I cleaned that up and the moment I started to show up authentically, that is when my social media started to totally blow up. Um, And then again, the evolution of that comes with new platforms like a TikTok starting just different ways of using my voice, but certainly was, those are the two biggest shifts. So I love what you touched on because I am more or less new to showing up on social media. Um, It's not something that I leaned into heavily. It's something that I almost hid from for quite some time. And I feel like there's a lot of like, you, we consume so much, right? And it's almost like, I'm just trying to emulate what is currently out there. How do you teach your students currently or your clients that you work with one-on-one to lean into their own kind of authentic story, their own, um, yeah, you know, the way that they grew up, whatever their background was, it could be whether, uh, you know, the fact that I'm Chinese American, what is that process look like and how do you stop people from maybe consuming as much and then leaning into that authentic journey? Yeah. So it actually starts with the story. And something that I teach my students and then I talk about a lot on my social channels is you've got to go back to who you are and where you came from and really be confident in that for two reasons. One, it always informs your platform. When you really dig into your personal story, you'll realize that there probably is so much alignment if you are really happy with what you're doing right now on social media with what you're doing. If not, then it is a source to find that alignment. So for example, I... Why am I always busy? Well, I mean, I grew up a 
child of immigrants, my parents were always working. And for them, if you're not working, then you are not successful. So for me, it was like must work all time. And I became very busy. And as a result of that, I have stories of burnout. I also have stories of achievement. So really going back to those stories and then being able to even explain the source of that can bring a lot of comfort for people. So I have my students really not just brain dump, but let's keep asking the why. When you're talking about your three biggest milestones in your life, how did it feel? How did it feel to wake up that next day after the milestone? How did it feel to receive that news? Because all these environmental elements of the successful and happy moments, and the same goes for the bad moments, are very important because that's how you can really identify how did it shape who I am or how did it feel? Why did it feel that way? What were those triggers? So when I'm doing that personal story work, I ask them to dig as deep as possible. Again, then that makes you more confident. So when you're showing up online, you can start to eliminate a little bit of the noise and clutter of the people who are doing exactly what you're doing. And especially as it relates to entrepreneurs and people working in social media, there are millions of people doing the exact same job we are. There are a million people who tell you, look at your personal story. But it people stick around and they pay for your services because of your energy. And you can hone in on your energy if you know who you are. So it always goes back to that. It always goes back to who you are and being confident because people will buy into the confidence of being you and your authentic self. It's not even confidence in terms of you being a great public speaker or you showing up beautifully on camera. I joke and I say, like, I never wear makeup on camera. My hair is a mess. Like, that is my truest self. And I'm super happy about that. And there are people who have full on makeup. And if that is you, cool. But that that really just comes from a place of realizing, like, again, I'm just like really busy. So I have no time to do my hair and makeup. Um, and, and even with the way it translates to working with brands, I always talk about like my skincare routine, two minutes long, because that's all I've got for you. If you want this, here you go. Um, so really just having that confidence. And you also kind of asked, you, you reminded me of a question that I want to touch on. I also talk to people about finding expanders versus competitors. So expanders is not a term I made up. It is a manifestation coach. Um, her name is Lucy from To Be Magnetic. But something she says really resonated with me because when you're looking at market research, and I'm sure most of us do that, we follow some of our competitors, we might even sign into this email list of our competitors, and then we feel really crappy about ourselves. But there's a difference between the competitors and the people who are expanders, who are actually just people, not so much like a role model, but someone who really helps you look at, look at them and say, wow, if they can do it, I'm so excited to also do it. Or here's a couple of things I can learn from them. Maybe it's people who aren't doing exactly what you're doing, but they're complementary to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. For example, we were in a, a business mastermind together. There were so many expanders for me in there of people who are either doing similar things or complementary things. I'm like, wow, their journey is really awesome. I'm going to learn a little bit from that. And I'm going to pull the pieces that I need. Those people are expanding your talents and they're expanding who you are as an entrepreneur. And I recommend that they find more of those people. The way you know the difference is truly in that gut feeling, right? Like if you keep seeing the same person who is a competitor, even if you're, if you're super confident, it does make you feel kind of crappy. It might make you feel angry at them. You roll your eyes and you're like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Or you might feel angry at you because you're like, why am I not doing that? 
honestly mute and unfollow those people. And then the expanders are the people who make you go and write on your to-do list. Ooh, adding membership service. Like those, that, that feeling of excitement because that person has helped you now visualize a new stage in your business. Those are the people you want to actively follow and learn from. Smart, really smart. Let's talk about batching content because we kind of touched on it really briefly in the beginning that you have, do you, do you set up, how do you set up your creative process? Do you do it on a whim or do you kind of prime yourself to do content? The only guarantee to content consistency is planning and batching. There's no other answer and that is not a secret, but no one likes to do it. So what I actually recommend is it's, uh, this is the workflow, right? You've got to, number one, be brain dumping daily, daily, daily in your entire life. Maybe it's frequently asked questions from your followers, testimonials, something that just came to your brain, an experience you had that day. Find a way to constantly brain dump. If you're digital, you can use something like a notes on your phone. I actually love voice. So I use Google Keep and I voice memo myself, my thoughts, and it translates into text. So now I don't really have to type anything. And I do that so that I can daily, daily brain dump. Next thing you have to do is then start planning a content calendar. Before you even get to that piece, you have to really identify your content pillars, which a lot of business coaches teach because it is the best way to make sure that your branding is also reflected. Because if you're brain dumping all day, sure, you can randomly post about whatever every day, but having defined content pillars and then setting a place in a calendar of when you are talking about certain topics will help you be more organized. And then what you're doing now is you are matching the brain dumps to whatever content pillar they fit and when you decided you want to post it. So what I actually do and I recommend, so when I say content calendar, people's brains visually go to a literal calendar that they have to drop in a photo and drop in this. I'm like, not at all. I have a worksheet where I have the day, the topic, the content pillar, and then any brain dumping material that I might need and what platform I'm going to put that on. So when I create, the reason why that workflow comes before even creating content is because the hardest part is figuring out what you want to talk about. So that's the, the next step. And then finally, when it comes to actually producing content, which might include photography, video, audio, blog, writing, whatever that production is, that I do it in batches only. So with batching, you are selecting a set amount of hours throughout the week and in one day. I actually have two days of batching and I don't use up um, both of the, both of the times. Now I'm faster at it. But I would say about four hours of content in one day should give you two weeks worth of content. Because if you are in four hours not doing anything else, that is actually going to make you so much more productive. And something that I personally do, and you mentioned, like I have very visual stuff on my feed because I love photography. So my personal thing is I just love photography. I studied it a little bit in college. So I like to take the highly produced photos. So what I do is I do my batching in separate um, phases, which is why I said two days. So I'll have a day where I'm just taking photos, doing videos and just shooting, shooting visual. And then I have the second day where I'm producing captions and I'm editing. I might be slicing and cutting things. So a video can be used three different ways and those kinds of things. So that's just my personal preference of, I don't want to have a whole day because I might burn myself out. So I have two days where I am doing two different things, but it's still production, right? And content batching. I do that. And then all of this, you know, I save it in my own organized way. And then when it's time to post, 
I actually go and I manually post. I have a calendar reminder of when to post. And the reason for that, actually just recently posted a reel about this, is the first 30 minutes of posting are just as crucial as whatever you're posting. You can have the most amazing, valuable content. And if you're not sticking around for 30 minutes to either engage with your audience or go find your audience and bring them over, then your valuable piece of content is heard to no one. And that is kind of like the entire process of me creating content and publishing. So I make time and I truly calendarize all of these things to make sure that they happen. Something else I always mention is it has to work for you. I can tell you a hundred times my process, but if you're not finding something that actually works for you, that helps you stay accountable, it's just not going to work. So what I recommend to people is again, understand the workflow of ideating, brain dumping, planning your content, producing your content, and then publishing your content as kind of those steps. Now find what works for you. And also again, with burnout, if you can't shoot for four hours, fine, shoot for two, three times a week. And that will be so much more than having to wake up every day and be like, what am I going to post? What do I need to do? Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, what's, what now is happening with Reels? Because it seems like Reels is kind of the new juicy um, platform to be, to be using. Um, what's your take on Reels at this point? And should people be messing with it? Should they not be messing with it? Um, I saw you were one of the earliest adopters, not only to use it, but also create content on how to use it, which was super helpful. Yeah, I'm glad it was. I 100% always recommend using new features on any social platform because these social platforms reward people who use the features. So you kind of want to be in first, especially if you are in the business of being a digital marketer or in the social media space. You want to be an early adopter to test it out. You want to show people that action builds, you know, perfection and builds confidence. And that's really what it was for me. I knew Reels was coming for a long time. I actually have one one-on-one client who is both American Brazilian and Brazil has had Reels for one year. So we've been talking about Reels for a long time. I actually brought her in to do an IGTV interview all about Reels before it launched so that the moment it launched, I was pretty much like, all right, I'm ready to go. And of course, as you mentioned, TikTok has been a, a pretty much primary platform for me aside from Instagram. So I was used to that format. Facebook did try to buy TikTok. They said no. And they said, we're going to make reels. And that's really, you know, how Facebook does things. But what happens is that reels still is in the culture of Instagram, which is much more curated. TikTok is a place to let go, let loose, be uncurated, do whatever you want. And, you know, things might go viral randomly. But on Instagram, it's still not that way. I find that the content that is a little more thought out, and when I say thought out, it doesn't mean like over weeks of time or high production, but you just have to have a little more intention in what you're posting on Instagram Reels. Um, What I've done so far is I created an introduction Reels. This is what I recommend to everyone who I am. So a quick, in 15 seconds, you can pretty much fit your name and three things you're about. And you just kind of give your introduction so people know about you and you have played with reels. And then if you have created video content before, whether on something like a TikTok or even longer YouTube or IGTV videos where you can cut 15 seconds and make something valuable, start publishing that so you can get used to it and the platform can start to give you back the, that value. Um, I don't think Instagram reels will be a competitor of TikTok at all because I do, I'm like, knock on wood that a year from now, I'm not 
this didn't age well. Um, but I do think that TikTok, because of having that lighter, more casual culture, is something that young people really like. And it's just an easier to use platform, honestly, TikTok versus Instagram Reels, where right now it's a little glitchy. So you might run into glitches when you're posting and it's not you, it's the platform. So again, really use it, try it because Instagram will reward you for having that, but make sure that it has a little bit more value than it's not the place for dancing. Although I will <laughs> dance because I think it's fun. <laughs> one of my favorite TikToks that you did or one of the favorite things, is it true that you you have the moment where you're actually approaching your current boyfriend. Like, do you have, is that like an actual, like, did someone yeah. hold that camera? Cause that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, Twitter version of that, my boyfriend, I met him at a five guys in New York city and yes. I was walking with my friend and literally had fries in my hand. And she said, I was like, wow, that guy aesthetically is like my dream guy. You know, you have your dream partner in your head. And she was like, I dare you to go tell him you think he's attractive. And I just like, literally my body came out of my mind and I was like, hi. Um, so I think you're really good looking. And I just wanted to let you know, that's literally what I said. I was like, just wanted to let you know. And he looked at me, I was like, are you okay? Do you want my number? And I was like, yeah, sure. And all of this was captured by my friend from afar because she was like, I can't believe you're about to do this. Like, there's no way you're about to do this. And I did it. So she recorded it. And now till this day, we have a video of how we met. And I posted it on TikTok in three different ways, actually. And each time it's gone hugely viral. The first time I posted it was around our anniversary. So I did a cool, the thing with TikTok is you have to adhere to the trends, right? So I, I like to save a lot of trends. There was this one song that was trending in a video format. I made our anniversary video in that format. It got 3 million views. And yeah, and then after that, people were like, wait, we need to know more. There needs to be more to the story because, of course, TikTok is so, so short. So I made part two was explaining my story with a voiceover that got 300,000 views. And then recently there was a, there was a trend of share a video of the moment you knew you were in love. So I was like, easy, done. And then I made that video. I think it's like eight seconds long, 300,000 views. And every single time that I post about our relationship, or it's the exact same video, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you can repurpose stuff on TikTok, do it because it's the exact same framing. And each time it's getting new views and a new audience. There's a few people who had commented on the latest one and were like, oh my God, I remember this video from months ago. I love it. So like, if it worked once, it's going to work again. And I love that about the platform. And I kept asking myself like, uh, when you go to my Instagram, I never, I keep my relationship and my family very private, actually. So I'm like, you would never even know I have a boyfriend, maybe. And so I asked myself, like, why would people care about this? But I think it goes back to confidence. And it's something that I try to empower people to feel a lot. It's like, take action, go get it, go get whatever you want in your life. That's what I did. Everything that I had, my career, my business, my boyfriend, like, I just went out and got it. And I think that message is what really resonates with people and not just the, what a cute little story. Because if you look, I know we're, we're, we're talking about this on, on audio to visualize it. It is not a good video. It is just a video of my back and you can see my boyfriend staring at me from like the corner of this video because we did not expect to make a high production out of this. So I think again, what really inspires people is that confidence and what makes people want to be like, wow, I should go do something brave today. <laughs> It shows up like it, even though I think the perfect part about that video is a, 
it's such a moment that so few of us are able to capture the moment, the moment we meet our partner or someone that we fall in love with. Like that's such a rare moment. And to have it where not only is it you having the courage and like, I'm just going to go stand up and go do this. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Like, I think it's such an empowering moment and yeah, it's, it's a really cool thing that you've shared with the world. So thank you. Yeah, no, I'm excited. People like it. <laughs> So where can people come find you? How can they come hang out in your world? Where do they dive in? What's the entry point? Where do they follow you? What platform should they find you on? Um, where do we come find you? Really my name everywhere now, but um, I would say Instagram is the entry point. So it's Lissette Kelv. You, you know, you'll find me. And on Instagram, I'm really publishing that balance, right? About business and social media, a really big focus on influencer marketing since that's my jam and my superpower and then a little bit of lifestyle. I do also, like you mentioned, my TikTok is a primary place for social media and influencer advice. And it is 100% a focused platform because that's just how TikTok works. So quick TikTok tip, if you niche down hardcore, it really enhances your growth. Um, so if you are someone who's not just looking to be an influencer, but when I say influencer, it's really just growing your personal brand uh, online. So who you are as a person is your business. And that's what I teach people to do and create. Um, And otherwise, like you mentioned earlier, I do have a signature program. It's called Influence to Impact. And it's everything I've said here, but actually sitting with them for 12 weeks and doing it, developing that personal brand and learning how to monetize it by both working with brand partners and building something for yourself um, in the digital space. I do also host monthly workshops and different topics. So the August one, you heard it here first, is about um, newsletter building. And I'm partnering with a creator who um, is really great at kind of making, building her newsletter and just showing people how best practices for that. Lizette, thank you so much for spending the time with us, sharing your time and your knowledge as well. It's incredible to get a sneak peek kind of behind the curtain of how thoughtful you are with your content, how much time you spend curating that process. And I know I pulled a lot of value out of it. So if you guys got something out of today's conversation, please take a screenshot um, and tag Lizette in it. Tell her what you got out of the conversation, because I think that's one of the best ways we can acknowledge people and let them know that what we're learning and what we're taking away. But thank you again so much for your time. Please go follow her. Go get into her content. Learn from her. Her course is amazing. And uh, I look forward to learning more and seeing more TikTok videos from you. I so appreciate you, Jason. I love everything you're doing. So awesome. Yeah, thank you. See you guys soon. Cheers. Thanks again. I hope you guys grabbed some great value out of today's conversation. If you want to further the conversation, I'd love to meet you personally. We've got a free Facebook community that you can dive into, free content, more resources, and I do lives every single week where I get a chance to interact with you and help coach you on exactly what you need. If you want to find it, you can find us at The Business of Feeling Good, or you can search the hashtag BOFG. Again, that's hashtag BOFG. If you like this episode, please share it. I'd love to hear from you. Your comments, your reviews truly mean so much to me. It's the lifeblood of what keeps me going, and it's how I craft the content that's better going to impact you. I look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Until then, cheers. Cheers.